Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. I'm your host, Scott McIntosh, and today Becky is not here. She's off doing great things, and I'll tell you about that at another time. But today I am meeting with a, a good friend, Robert Williamson. Uh, Robert is, is a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. I appreciate him being vulnerable and putting himself out there in the hopes of sharing with others his story and things that will inspire and lift and motivate and, and help those uh, who may be going through the same problems that he's had or family members who are dealing with a family member or a loved one who is going through this and somehow he can give them some hope that there is a brighter future and, and things that to do and not to do. So uh, welcome, Robert Williamson. Yeah, so, you know, I, I've told my story many times. I'm active in the 12-step uh, programs. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a normal middle-class home. You know, I, was, I had a good childhood. I had, I had good parents and everything that somebody needs to be brought up in this world. And, uh, you know, as a teenager, I had uh, an older brother, a couple years older. And, you know, as we got into our teen years, we started to experiment a little bit um, with drinking and uh, a little bit into the drugs and, you know, kind of uh, more of the curiosity. And um, at, at an early age, it became real apparent that those things affected me different. Um, my friends, my brother, they would do a little of that and they would uh, just kind of walk away from it. It wasn't a big deal. And to me, it was uh, it was a big deal. And uh, I would really obsess about it and get into it. And it became apparent that I was different. You know, I was definitely would react to alcohol different. I was usually, you know, anytime I would drink any amount of alcohol, I would pass out or black out. And, and it, it became a, a real apparent that something was going on there. And so that's kind of how I started into doing those kinds of things. You say obsessive. You mean that if you had a little, then you had to just go all the way with it. You had to go till you went past out. Right. If you're an alcoholic, uh, you process alcohol different. Uh, there's a lot of misconception about alcoholism and, and drug addiction. A lot of people think it's just a choice, and and it is, but your body reacts different to it. So you process alcohol different than other people. Uh, the way your body breaks it down, the sugars and everything else. And so when an alcoholic drinks... He literally has this such a strong desire to drink. He he has the choice to choose, but usually he he will not choose. He'll choose to drink because it's such an overwhelming compulsion. And uh, uh, somebody else could go out to dinner and have a couple drinks and and uh, have a beer with their dinner and put it down. An alcoholic it triggers them into this just absolute obsession to drink and drink more. And, you know, it became real apparent in, around my friends and my family. I couldn't stop once I started. You know, they say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And people that stop drinking, they're alcoholic. And maybe years go by and they pick up alcohol again. They'll just fall right back into it usually. In my case, you know, I got heavily into it to where even my friends and my brother who I would go party with on the weekends and this and this kind of stuff, I wouldn't stop. I'd keep going all week and they would put it down and it ended up where, you know, I ended up in a rehab at the age of 16 years old because I was so out of control. Who, who put you there? My parents. My parents checked me into a rehab and uh, I lived in Montana and they checked me into a rehab at the age of 16. And I got sober uh, for about three years, 
And really because it was just scary for me to go to rehab. And, um, you know, rehabs back then, you know, I'm 46 years old and rehabs 30 years ago are not like they are today. They're a little bit more relaxed and mm-hmm. and they are more inviting. And back then it was kind of like almost like military boot camp. And it was scary and it, it scared me and I didn't want to do that. So I ended up staying sober for three and a half years and and um, I finally moved out to to Seattle to the city and I I was around people that were drinking people that are doing drugs and one day I just decided that hey well why why can't I try that again and why can't I do that and I did that and uh, within a couple months I, I couldn't stop and I had lost I had a good job and I had a car and I had a place and I had a girlfriend and I lost all those things within you know even a month um, it's all or none for me. I would just, I could not stop and I would sell everything I had and do everything I had, you know, give away everything to, to drink or to do drugs. And it got to the point where, you know, my roommates and stuff were real concerned with me. I got to the point where I was just losing control so bad. I ended up getting checked into a hospital because they didn't know what to do with me. I was getting really crazy and, um, they put me into a facility and, and they ended up strapping me down to bed for a whole month in five-point restraints. And they told my parents that I had suffered a, a brain-induced in, psychosis, a drug-induced psychosis from all the drugs that I had been taking and the drinking. And they told my parents that I would never recover from this, that they should put me in the state mental hospital and I would never uh, function as a human being again. Wow. And um, I almost died in the hospital because I got strep, strep so bad, my airway closed off. And uh, But I, was la- I laid in that hospital. I don't remember much of it. I was in and out. They had me on so many different medications trying to just calm me down. And um, where's this hospital at? Was this was in Washington. This Washington. was in Seattle. And uh, long story short, I got out of that hospital just by the grace of a, of a family, a friend of the family who was good with the system that was able to get me out of that hospital and put into the care of my my mother and my sister. And my mom had to literally take care of me for about six months because I was so uh, out of it. And she kind of nurtured me back to health. And and, um, I got feeling better. And after about a year, I ended up moving out of my sister's house into my other sister's house. And I started hanging around those old friends and thought that, you know, that it was just a rare occurrence what happened to me. And I ended up going back and getting back on drugs again. Did drugs always get associated with alcohol or could you separate the two? No, they were always hand in hand. If there was one, it was the the other one was there. Um, And so I, after going through that whole ordeal and putting my family through all that misery, um, I went back to doing drugs and it was probably six to eight months later. I ended up back in the hospital again, same type of thing. Uh, it wasn't, I didn't stay as long this time and it wasn't as bad, but I got out and tried to get sober. I would try to go to the meetings and try to get the support. And, uh, you know, then I eventually, uh, relapsed. Um, I started, uh, dealing drugs in the process of all this because I had to pay for my habit. And so I got into that pretty heavy and was definitely, you know, risking a lot to, to support my drinking and my drug habit. Cause now there's a good chance you're going to do time. Yeah. I could have easily gone and done time for what I was doing. And, uh, 
You know, this was in Seattle in the uh, late 90s. So this went on for about five or six years where I wasn't working, I was dealing drugs, and I was just, you know, I always thought if I had enough drugs and enough alcohol, life would be good. And, and I had that in excess for many, many years, probably five or six years. And I finally, I felt uh, like I was going to end up back in the hospital. And I ended up leaving Seattle and I went to Portland with a friend. And I, in the middle of the night, I ended up just getting on an airplane. I had family down here in Utah. My brother lived in Utah, in Orem. And I I came down here with, I, I don't know what my intentions were. I, I came down here, I was just, I was really struggling. And uh, I ended up calling him and told him I needed some help. And he arranged to put me into a rehab. So I went into a detox and then a rehab. And, um, you know, I had been in and out of the programs and tried to stay sober. And, but this time was different. I remember he checked me into a facility and they got me all checked in and, and, you know, put me in the, in the little detox room and I was broken. I was completely helpless, hopeless. And I remember I was raised in a religious home, but, um, I, I did not want to have anything to do with God while I was out there drinking and doing drugs. And, and so I, I, I don't know the last time I had prayed, but I got down on that cold tile floor in that, in that detox center and I prayed and it was probably the most sincere prayer I ever made in my life. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. Um, please help me. And I remember just feeling a warmth come over me and a calming. And um, uh, the best I could describe it is like being in the hospital. If you've ever been in the hospital and they put one of those warm blankets over you. That's how I felt. You know, I just felt like the, the love of God over me and that everything was going to be okay. Um, I ended up staying in Utah and, um, I didn't care where I lived or what I did. I just didn't ever want to drink or do drugs again. So I had to change everything. Right. And I walked away from everything, everything I had in Seattle, I walked away literally. And I started over in Utah and, uh, I started going to a lot of the meetings, the support groups, you know, I just did what they told me to do. You know, I did everything. I was so willing cause I didn't, I didn't want to end up back in those hospitals. I didn't want to live in that place. Um, Alcoholism is, is a very lonely place. And, you know, when you come to that crossroads where the drinking or the drugs is, are not working anymore, it's a very lonely and scary place to be because, you know, it works pretty good for a while, but in the end it doesn't work. And, um, you know, I was willing to do whatever it took. And so when I started going to meetings and things, people were telling me to do this and I started working a 12-step program. And, you know, I was, I was scared, you know, I didn't want to ever have to go back to, to living that way. Wow. Um, let's go back just a second. Cause I was, I was wondering earlier if, if, uh, alcohol was a part of your family growing up or did you and your brother go searching it or was that something that you could just break into your mom and dad's cabinet and get? No. So my, my parents never drank, you know, I was raised in a religious home. Um, you know, I was raised LDS and we didn't have it in our home, but you know, everyone, our friends had it, the neighbors had it, you know, it's, it was around if you were looking for it. So, right, right. So you were raised in a religious home where they taught you to pray, but prayer hadn't been a part of your life for a long time. Now, when, when I started doing those things, I think a lot of guilt and, and things like that came with it. I knew I was doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. 
even the whole time I was doing it, I knew I was doing the wrong thing. And I, and so I didn't want to have anything to do with praying or God. And, um, and now that's become such a huge part of my life is, is, you know, I went back to the, to the religion that I was raised in the LDS religion. And I, and that works for me. You know, that's a very important part of recovery is having a spiritual connection. It, it, it pretty much, well, it's really everything in recovery is about having that connection. That's awesome. So what we're trying to do here is breathe hope into other people and that there might be suffering or dealing with this kind of a struggle that that's real and seeing their, their child or their nephew or their niece or somebody who they're like, I know they know better. They, they, they know better. They were raised better than this. And you don't, you don't downplay that at all. You did know better, but there's something that gets you stuck. Right. And once you get into it, it's, it's, it's hard to get out of it. It really is. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. But I can promise you that there is a way out. These 12-step these programs, they can help you. Um, you know, I have a sponsor. And, you know, I've been sober. It'll be uh, 22 years this fall. And, uh, you know, I still call a sponsor uh, and check in and, and uh, make sure that everything's going well. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's a process, but it, it can be done. It has, but you have to have that desire and, um, it has to be the first thing in your life, the most important thing in your life. You know, when I first got sober, they told me that you put this first, your recovery's first and everything else will fall in play. And, and I know that's true today. And they always told me that if you put other things in front of your recovery, if you go back out there, all those things that you put in front of your recovery will become, will disappear. Right, right. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, um, we both love the outdoors. We love hunting and, and the wilds and being mm-hmm. up in the mountains. Uh, Ted Nugent speaks of the high he gets. He's, he's been in the rock and roll business his whole life, drug free, and, and he does it because he gets high on life. Right. Do you, what was your experience between those two, because you're a big outdoorsman. Were you a big outdoorsman when you were young as well? Yeah, I always loved the outdoors. My dad took me hunting and fishing as a kid, and so that was always a part of me. And even when I was on drugs, I tried to go camping and do things, and but it usually the the drinking and the drugs got in the way, and I never ended up going on that hike or never quite made it to the lake to go fishing or whatever. But it, yeah, I mean, the outdoors is a huge part of my recovery. Um, I truly, you know, feel at home in the outdoors. I feel the presence of my creator and everything there. Uh, it's such a perfect harmony. You know, a lot of people, when they get sober, they think they're not going to have any fun anymore or, you know, they're going to be boring. They're not going to be able to go out and do things. And, you know, I just changed my life. I don't go out to the clubs on Friday nights. I don't go to bars. I don't go to those places anymore. You know, I spend my time with my family or in the outdoors and and i and i recreate that way so yeah it's 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 a different different way of life but it's more fulfilling yeah it definitely is more more satisfying yeah i i love that because uh the great outdoors we call that the church of god right great outdoors yeah uh that's that's part uh, that's where so many people feel closest to their maker and and i glad i'm glad that we share that so let me, uh, let me go back a little bit. Um, you've told us a, an amazing story. How did you deal with all of the people you drugged through this? It wasn't about you the whole time. There was a lot of people affected along the way. Yeah, my, my poor mom, 
she, uh, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of my family members, they've given up on me. They really thought I was going to kill myself drinking and, and doing drugs and, and, you Which know, my, is very normal. Yeah. And, and they did. They, a lot of them, they just gave up. They just, after putting me in, you know, said and done through that time, I think I went through five or six rehabs, went in the hospital two or three times and, you know, they just, they were fed up. They opened their homes to me. They tried to help me and then I would just go back to it. And so, but my poor mom, she never, never gave up on me. And the best thing I could do, you know, because they'd heard the story a million times, like, oh, it's going to be different this time. I'll stay sober. And so the best thing I could do when I got sober this last time was just just keep doing it. Keep keep going to the meetings. Keep, keep uh, building those. And after, you know, a year or six months, a year and two years and three years, you know, that was how I made my amends with my family because they could see, oh, my gosh, she's actually staying sober this time. It's not a... Trust is being reestablished. Yeah, you, it takes time to rebuild that trust, and you know, and and families typically are pretty good about that. But it definitely takes time, and it, it took time. That's just who I am today. You know, they know who I am. They they respect me. Um, you know, I, I I sometimes say that the program these programs work too well because people will get sober and their life will start happening again. They'll get a good job. They'll get. You know, their marriage will be straightened out. Their relationships will be straightened out. And it, it almost happens too quick for some people. Mm-hmm. And then they think, oh, I got this all taken care of. And they stop going to the meetings. They stop doing what they need to do to stay sober. And then they end up going right back out. So right. it almost works too good because you start living a good life and you start having things back in your life like family and and all those you know material items and all those things they you know, alcoholics and addicts are, they're pretty smart people and they, they usually do really well. They're successful in life mm-hmm. because they'll get focused and keyed in on things and just really stay in it. Your family trusted you again. You were able to go to your meetings. You, you stay even here 22 years later, you're still um, calling your they call sponsor, sponsor. sponsor. Yep. Um, but you have, you have mentors along the way. I know Carl uh, is a mentor of yours. Why don't you yeah. explain a little bit about that? Well, so I, I met a, a gentleman, and uh, his name's Carl, and I actually did some work on his house. Uh, re, re, helped him remodel a bathroom, and uh, we again it was a, we had the common bond of hunting, and and we became really good friends. And Carl is a is a is a great guy that's been kind of a, someone I look up to and a mentor. Big yeah. age difference. Yeah, big age difference. We end up hunting a lot together in here. You know, I'm I'm 40 years old, and he's like 60-some years old. He's kind of a father figure in, in a lot of regards to me, but I think that's what we do in life. We find people to look up to. We find mentors. We find people to fill those gaps. Maybe if you didn't have a father figure in life or a, a, a strong mother figure, I think you can fill those gaps with other people. You know, I I do sponsor kids. That's part of the thing is helping other people as they go through recovery. And just staying involved in it is a big part of it. And, you know, that constant reminder, you know, uh, within the program, you know, I work personally with people that they died from this disease. They they thought they could go out one more time and they went out one more time and then it ended up killing them. You know, it's it can be a dark picture. When you are in the, the, the rooms of recovery, you will witness tragedy. People die. 
from this disease all the time. I mean, I could list in the years I've been sober, there's handfuls of people that I know, that I personally knew, that went out there and thought they could try it one more time, and they're not here anymore. It's it's real. It's it's definitely a life and death struggle, you know. Right. Okay, well, we're winding up here to the end. Just just in conclusion, I mean, the the recap is one. It's it's dark and it's and it's a lonely world. And the things that pulled you out of it was the realization of where you were. I think a little bit of just all of a sudden when you were having a sober day, looking around and saying, "Is this really where I want to be?" Right. But the people that never gave up on you. There right. were, there was plenty that did. But the people who came into your life who were mentors, who didn't know you. Ne- Carl never knew that other side of you. No. He only knew the good side of you. But he saw the good in you, and he was able to elevate you and lift you. Yeah, the, the thing I could just tell people is there's hope. I mean, if you want to get out of uh, addiction, you want to want to get into recovery, there's, there, the programs are out there. And if you get in them and work them, and you can have a life better than you ever believed, um, and it's available. You've just got to be willing to step up and do the suggestions, do the things they recommend in those programs and put it you know, into your life. And you can have a good life out, out of this. It's not all uh, dark. You know, There is hope. That's, that's a great message to those who are in it. What about to the parents of a loved one who's in it? How do, how do you give them that hope? Because they always say, unless you hit rock bottom, you're not... And are yeah. humbled, you're not going to change. And you can put them in all the rehabs you want. And if they don't want to change, they're not going to change. And that's true. They're not going to. And there's programs for for people that have lived with alcoholics or children, you know, your child's an alcoholic. They have programs for them. And really, it's all about acceptance and just accepting the fact that this kid or this, my husband, he may never stop drinking. And so those programs really just focus on you and... And trying to be okay with yourself yeah. and trying to You're be You're not okay. a failure as a parent. Yeah, yeah. You just have to always have hope. and, and uh, But really, it's it just comes down to you. you got to be able to accept it and function in your own life. And hopefully, they'll come around. Because you really need to hit that bottom and really want the recovery on your own. Nobody can, can make you sober. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you. We're out of time. Uh, thank you, Robert. Appreciate you being yeah. here today. And... Uh, Join us again next time, everybody, in Life in 22 Minutes.